This summer, Kwanda and I, we took uh, one of our vacation days to drive out to a provincial park nearby that we hadn't been to yet. Uh, we wanted to go see it. We enjoyed the afternoon that we spent out at the park. We enjoyed the sun. Uh, for me, it was probably one of those uh, afternoons where I en enjoyed the shade a little bit more. It's what I like. But at one point in that afternoon, uh, we decided to go for a walk. Uh, we saw that there were some trail signs in the area that would take us along uh, the side of the lake. And when we got to the trail, there was another sign telling us that the bank along the side of the lake was in danger of eroding and that we should stay at least 10 meters away from the edge. Now, the edge of the bank was susceptible to caving in from extra weight and from some extra movement. And I quickly noticed two things as I was standing in front of that sign and as I was looking along that trail. One was that the original path or the original trail had definitely been affected by erosion. Parts of the bank had already fallen in. And secondly, a new path had already been started, ensuring that hikers could continue on in a different part of, or area around the lake. You know, as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians and studying our Radiant series, uh, I've come to realize that the book of Ephesians is like that signpost for us as believers in Christ, showing us where the path that we were originally on apart from Christ is susceptible to erosion from sin and self and how through Christ a new path for our life has been started where we can enjoy our daily walk free from the dangers of erosion, spiritual erosion, and risk of falling in life. You see, our summer series, Radiant, has been about taking a new path. The path marked out for us in Scripture, a path that equips us and enables us to walk secure in life as believers in Christ. It identifies the danger points where spiritual and relational erosion can occur, but also identifies principles and practices that are needed to live in the kind of victory that Pastor Jim and Chantel spoke about last weekend. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that message, I'd encourage you to go to our Regina Apostolic Church page, either on, on YouTube or on Facebook, and check out that message because it was excellent. You know, part of living in that victory that they spoke of is also found in the security that a life in Christ brings. It's not just victory. There's a security that's attached to that kind of life. And I realize human tendency is to gravitate towards insecurity. Not security, but towards insecurity. But Paul identifies for us in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, the passage of scripture that we're in right now, he identifies the means to change that tendency, and it comes through putting on the armor of God, or at least in part through that. And he says this in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. He says, finally, or as a final word of exhortation to you, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The focus of my message today will be on Ephesians 6 and verse 16, a few verses down. 
Uh, I don't want to reiterate necessarily what Pastor Jim and Ten Chantel spoke about last week, but I want to do. I want to focus in on one piece of what is spoken of in this passage. Paul says this. In addition to all of these, he's speaking of the armor. He says this, he says, hold up or take up, in another translation, the shield of faith to stop or to extinguish the fiery fiery arrows of the devil, the evil one. I particularly like the wording of Ephesians 6.16 in the Passion Translation. It says this, in every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it, speaking of faith, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. And then going on into the first part of verse 17, it says, embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance. Don't you love that? Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance. We all face battles. Some of those battles are more weak in nature. Some are strong. Some are so intense and overwhelmingly powerful that we don't know what to do with them. And they have a tremendous effect or can have a tremendous effect on our life and even our spiritual walk. But you know, none of us is immune. But we do have hope and we have help to stand firm. If we read through the full section of Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, we'll discover that there are three tenses, so to speak, of what it means to stand firm or how we can stand firm. It's an indication of standing our ground or standing on our feet. And these three tenses toward battle are this. First of all, it's standing firm before the battle. In other words, being equipped enough before the battle that we have what we need to be able to stand firm. Secondly, it's standing firm after the battle. Because this is the way that scripture identifies it. Before the battle and then after the battle. Having done it all, standing there, standing firm. Not phased, not moved. But thirdly, it's standing firm in the battle. It's in the middle of it all. It's when the onslaught seems to come and it gets so difficult and we may not even know exactly which way to turn uh, or, or how to handle it, but in the middle of the battle, here's this, uh, this thing that we can grab hold of. It's called the shield of faith. Let me read this passage briefly, not all of it, but part of it from the New Living Translation. Verse 13 says this, Therefore, put on, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully, so that you will be fully prepared. But in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And then it says again, put on salvation as your helmet. 
No, I look at faith and the importance of faith as part of the armor package that we have identified as God's armor for us. And I see that there are different approaches to faith. And each approach is valid. I recognize that because of life circumstances, there are those who find themselves embracing faith, but it's a timid kind of faith. There's a bit of a shyness um, or a reluctance, so to speak, um, in, in certain aspects of it, only because of maybe some of the experiences that people have walked through. There's a tentative faith. It's different than being shy. It's a hesitance, a hesitancy uh, in that sense. Uh, Just simply being tentative to step out into maybe some of the things that you know, um, but don't quite have the confidence aspect to it yet. Then there's what I'm calling tenacious faith. And tenacious faith is found in those who it's like, okay, I absolutely grab hold of and understand and believe what's being said, what Christ has done for us, what the Bible tells us, and I'm just putting myself out there and by faith going for it. That kind of tenacity, not being um, persuaded of another sort, but stepping in with a full persuasion, that sort of faith. Um, being confident. And each of these, like I said, is valid. But each one, to a certain degree, has also been tainted or tested to some degree by life circumstances. The kind of faith described here in Ephesians 6 is actually a fourth approach to faith. Interestingly, that you would look at it this way, um, but if you will, it's It's this life of faith that comes from uh, knowing that something has been tried and true. So it's that tried faith as opposed to a tired faith. It's the kind of faith, if you will, that we rely on and give credence to with a level of assurance and certainty that can that we can absolutely assent to or trust in. We give our assent to it. We give ourselves to it. We trust in it. It's a faith that's based on evidence and based on authority that we are convinced of, that we become content with, and that we're willing, actually, to contend for. It's the kind of faith that impacts our persuasion and our level of persuasion, our moral conviction, and our submission to the power of Christ at work in us that actually reflects his trustworthiness, his faithfulness. It's the kind of faith that, like I said, is tried and found true. It's the kind of faith that leads us to a place of confident trust as we yield to the finished work of Christ on the cross and the fullness of life that Christ offers to us, gives to us as we receive him and as we follow him. It's the kind of faith that emerges out of obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. A faith that hinges itself upon our willingness to embrace and to clothe ourselves in truth, 
in righteousness and peace, the things that we have put on as part of the armor of God. Accessible only and ultimately in Christ and in his infallible word. It's interesting that when we look at, in the Greek, this word shield, it has a really beautiful meaning. It's a piece of God's armor that we are to take up, not something necessarily that we are to wear, like we are instructed to do with truth, righteousness, and peace, but the word shield here in the Greek describes a large shield in the shape of a door much like a portal or an entrance, an opening or a closure of sorts, such as a door or a gate. When I was studying and I read through that, and as I was walking through some of the Greek definition, immediately I thought, wow, if the shield of faith is like a door or like a gate, an entrance or a closure in that sense, Um, something that not only we are to hold in front of us, um, but we are also shielded by, I couldn't help but think, is the shield a reference to not only just our faith in terms of our efforts, but is it a reference to Christ, faith in him, and his faithfulness being poured out back towards us? See, it's a faith that we both enter through and we stand behind, a faith that we are shielded by. And so it's worth noting that Jesus makes it clear that he, in John chapter 10, verses 7 to 9, and then we'll reference verse 10 in a moment, but Jesus makes it clear that he is the door, that he is the gate through which we stand secure in through which we enter, through which we are guarded from the prowling thief seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's John chapter 10. See, Jesus came to offer life, to bring life in its fullness, but the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus stands as not only our entrance into faith, but he stands as the one who guards us in the midst of life circumstances and the battles that we face in this world. Jesus is our shield. He is our protector. He is our faithful shepherd, always on the watch for us. Our faith is not based on our own efforts or our own merits. Our faith is actually found in Christ and then built upon Christ and his faithfulness. And that faithfulness is attached to his covenant, his everlasting creed towards us, his promise. It's upon that faithfulness that we rely and that we rise, that we place our credence in or our belief in and our confidence in. Scripture tells us that we wrestle, in this passage, we wrestle against a strategic adversary who primarily attacks us, I believe, in two ways. As an accuser and as a slanderer. Let me read to you again from Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to read to you, I'm going to read to you beginning at verse 11 from the Passion Translation. 
put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Not just an enemy, not just an adversary, but an accuser. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings. We have to understand that. But with the highest principalities and authorities that are operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. And because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides. See, this is something that God provides for us that we are to put on and to take up. Wear all the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer. Now, here's the second name. Accuser, not just enemy or adversary. Slanderer, not just enemy or adversary, but specific nature in terms of his tactics against us. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. And then it tells us to put on truth. And then it talks about putting on holiness or standing in righteousness. And then it talks about um, standing uh, with our feet alert um, through the blessings of peace in our life found in Christ. And then in every battle, take faith and wrap it around us as our shield. You see, we wrestle against one who is very strategic, an enemy, an adversary, whose primary tactic against us is as an accuser and as a slanderer, like I said. He seeks primarily to bring us down and to shut us out, if you look at the two words. He's afraid, I believe, of what might happen if the church the whole of the church were ever to discover its full identity and destiny in Christ and by doing so, begin to rise up and speak out with the authoritative truth, moral character, and peaceful position, disposition that the church has been given. See, the adversary's tactic is to tear down the believer's identity, integrity, and credibility in an effort to demoralize and demobilize the church. Now, that's pretty big. It's major. But when we think about it and, and, and look at it more closely, we see that his hope is to knock the believer down and keep us out of the game in a mindset of defeat. Misunderstanding and misrepresentation are part of the accusing and part of the slandering. And they're some of the enemy's weapons of choice. They lead to mistrust. And trust, as we will see in just a moment, is one of the key factors to living, engaging, and standing firm in our faith. There's fear in the eyes of an enemy whose opponent is equipped with a resolve to stand firm, unmoved, 
unshaken and unhinged by any strategic uh, tactic that's intended to bring them down or to shut them up or to shut them out. But as Christ followers, we have no reason to be alarmed in the heat of battle unless, of course, we're walking around disarmed, not clothed. God battles for us, and we can rest assured and secured in the prolific shadow of our Savior King, Jesus Christ, who stands and acts on our behalf as our advocate and our affirmer of life, our defender and lover of our souls, our confidant or friend and conqueror over all things that otherwise are grave-worthy, our redeemer, but also our reviver. See, we can trust the mighty power and presence of the Holy Spirit to enable and empower us in battle, to be equipped before the battle, to be prepared to stand after the battle, but in the middle of the battle, he is there and he is with us as we stand in his armor. We can't and we don't stand firm alone. We stand firm in him, in Christ. He is truth, the truth. Truth that guides and guards our life. He is our righteousness. And we are robed in that righteousness, not in our own. Christ is our peace. And it's his peace that we have been given as a gift from him that will never be taken away. He is our protective shield that we take up and hold out by faith. Our salvation is in him, in nothing and no one else. Knowing this and also living in this knowledge brings confidence to our lives and focus to our thoughts when confusion and uncertainty try with desperation to beat against us, to defeat us, or to deflate our spiritual fervor. So church, as I close I want to encourage you with this. Let's take up our shield of faith, that wraparound shield of faith. It's part of the armor of God that has been given to every believer for victory as well as security. Scripture exhorts us to stand firm, which we can by standing firm in Christ, not by ourselves, not alone, but in Christ and in his finished work and in his faithful promises to always be with us and to always be for us. So stand firm, shielded by faith. Church, I want to encourage you. This is a message of encouragement. See, I recognize that you may be going through, some of you listening, may be going through something significant in your own life today. You may be facing a battle, a huge battle, an intense battle. It may feel overwhelming. It may feel insurmountable. It may feel almost impossible at this, at this point anyways to get past. But I want to encourage you to take a step of faith towards Christ. And whether you know him already or whether you don't, take the step of faith towards Christ. You know, his grace is sufficient and is available. And through faith, that grace 
is accessible. Jesus is accessible. So can I encourage you, reach out. He's here for you to help you, to assist you, to strengthen you, to equip you, and also to bless you. I want to pray for you. In our battles, there are moments where we just simply need someone to come alongside. And I want to do that today. And by faith, to reach out before God's throne of grace to pray specifically for you. And whatever it is that you may be going through, whatever it is that you might be battling right now, it might be a health issue, it might be a family issue, it might be a financial issue, it might be a decision that you're trying to make. No matter what it is, God's here to help you. And by faith, you can call out to him and by faith, receive that grace that is yours to receive. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every person listening to this message today. Lord, I pray that in the heat of their battle, you would make yourself real and that they would be able to grab hold of and take hold of and hold out that shield of faith. And by faith, receive your grace that is promised to help in time of need. So will you meet this need in a special way? And I pray that if anyone listening or watching today does not know you, has never made that personal decision to reach out to you, that today would be a day that by faith they would say, Jesus, would you come into my life? I need you. I know that I've lived my life apart from you, but today will you come into my life? I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I trust you, and I place my life in your hands, and I will follow you and fill me with your Holy Spirit for strength to live each day. I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know that. Call in to the number on the screen, or our number is 306-789-1234 here at the church. Call in, let us know. You can talk to one of the pastors. Um, if you have questions, call in as well. We're here for you, and we want to help you in your journey so that you can stand firm in life, walking in God's blessing. God bless you.